Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the WTF Podcast with your host, yours truly, Michelle McKenzie. This is a podcast where we spark conversation that demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. Before we get into the conversation with today's guests, I would like to let you know that I'm starting a community for you to have live conversations with guests that have appeared on the podcast. Have you ever listened to an episode and felt like you wanted more or felt like there was a question that I didn't ask that you wanted to know more about? Now you get to ask guest questions about things that you want to learn more about. Earlier this year, I co-created a grant writing course based on my observations from 10 years working at a foundation selecting and awarding grants. During that time, I noted some key mistakes that grant applicants make repeatedly. This course helps business and social entrepreneurs like you learn grant writing skills to help move you from rejection to acceptance by increasing your chances of winning grants to launch or grow your business. When you join my community, you get the following. Two free months access from the time you sign up to my grant writing course, a $220 value. The course includes six individual modules that will walk you through grant writing, grant review, and the post-award process. You also get notice of grant funding opportunities to apply for grants before grant deadlines close. You also get discount access on new courses when they're launched and the opportunity to beta test courses before they're launched. You also get master classes where lots of knowledge gems will be dropped. And if there are topics that you are interested in learning more about, let me know and I will find a speaker who can come to the community and address those questions for you. So what are you waiting for? Join now. Use the link in the show notes or visit agazella.com slash community to sign up. Today's episode is a little different and unique, and I'm very happy to have with us Jansen, who is going to introduce herself and talk about what she does. It's a little bit of a different take on what we usually talk about here on this show, but that's why I'm so excited about this conversation. Jansen Young, please introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you, Michelle, so much for inviting me and having me on today. Huge fan of the podcast, and I'm always interested to see where other people are getting their funding from, so it's really exciting to join um, my background is actually uh, steeped in corporate America, where I spent 13 years in financial services. So most of my corporate career was flying around the country, helping broker-dealer reps uh, grow their businesses using technology, but I was supporting their business as they were helping average everyday Americans grow and manage their wealth. Um, so I've always been around money. I've always been interested in money, but in my travels, I kind of realized I might be on the wrong side of the table there. <laughs> so I think a lot of us know how that feels. You're like, hmm, uh, I'm not doing something right. Exactly. I see all the money over there and I'm over here and I'm trying to get over there. Exactly. How do we bridge that gap? So for me, um, we found our path to financial independence through real estate. 
Um, and I call myself an accidental real estate investor. Uh, it just ended up that I got pregnant. My husband and I had terrible commutes. Both of us were about an hour and a half each way. Um, and I decided I did not want to have my baby on the highway. So uh, we ended up relocating, but we couldn't sell our house. That wasn't, that wasn't your dream to have a highway baby? <laughs> uh, side note, my second child actually was born on the highway. So there's nothing I could do about it. <laughs> So you got the story anyway. I, yeah, exactly. I got it without wanting it, but it's here I am. Um, but actually it, it ended up working out. We couldn't sell our first home and we were trying to move it over. Uh, but our realtor was like, well, why don't you just rent it? And, you know, just wait for the market to correct itself. Uh, at first I was just like, I don't want to even live it in my house, messing with my stuff. Um, but it ended up being a wonderful experience and that's what sort of got us bitten with a bug that maybe we should make this a full-time thing. Um, so we started gobbling up uh, apartment buildings. That's really what we wanted. We wanted the passive income, but we ran out of money because um, that's expensive. <laughs> uh, and once we ran out of capital, we were like, okay, well, where do we get more money to keep funding uh, these purchases? And uh, we were in an investor meeting and there was a guest speaker there who came and introduced the idea of flipping vacant land. And uh, I was a little off put at first, but the more he started talking, the more I was like, okay, I could, I could flip it just like I flip a house, but I don't have to know how to rehab. I don't have to manage contractors. I don't have to do repair estimates and then worry about mold and abatements and fire damage and all these things. Um, it started to sound more and more appealing so oh, you just said a whole lot. So let's back up and break down a little bit. So you got into real estate investing, and I think that's familiar to a lot of us. Um, yeah. And we've been, a lot of people have been sold on the importance of real estate as a part of your investment portfolio and wealth building. Yes. Now, there are people who are interested in getting into real estate investing, but might be unsure, especially on, okay, how how do I get the capital to start to get my first property? Maybe you could talk a little bit more about what you did um, on the house investment side, and then yes. we'll get into the land flipping because so many entrepreneurs out here are looking for funding to either get a venture up and off the ground, but there are opportunities, it seems, especially in land flipping, where you actually don't need a lot of capital up front to start. And so I think a lot of people will be interested in hearing more about that. So let's back up to your first real estate deal, other than renting out your house that you already yeah. owned. Yeah. So just walk us a little bit through that, and then we'll flip to land flipping. Awesome. Awesome. So that one was actually, I think it's one of my more interesting deals, Um so we started the traditional route thinking that we needed our own money. So we had savings. We had about $30,000 that we were ready to use from our personal savings to help out with the rehab. But we still needed the down payment and we needed the mortgage. Um, for the down payment, we actually took a loan from our 401ks. So my husband and I both were in corporate for a while. And if you have a 401k, you can borrow up to 50% of that or $50,000, um, whichever is lower, um, to use for whatever you want. And that's a great way to finance purchasing a home. 
I think most of us who have 401ks know that that's one of the uses for a 401k where you don't have to pay that early withdrawal penalty. I mean, you, you do have to repay it back, but it's not like um, that penalty that if you take the money out earlier, because there are rules that come with the 401k and that that could be used as a, a tool for wealth building in terms of buying a home. Now for people who don't have 401ks, then, you know, that's something different, but some people might have 401ks and not know that that's one of the uses that you can use your 401k for. So it's not just for your retirement after you turn 65, but to help you build wealth now while you're still young. And I would even say it's for retirement for whatever age you want to retire. I mean, I, I consider myself. True, true, true. So to think about (laughs) early retirement and 65 retirement. All right, keep going. Okay. So uh, we took a $50,000 loan from our 401k to kind of get the down payment going. And then we went online and just Googled hard money lenders near me. We got this idea from YouTube universities. Somebody on YouTube told us this is how you find hard money lenders. Okay. So what's a hard money lender? First, you have to know what to Google, right? To even find what you're looking for. Exactly. So a traditional bank is going to look at you as an individual, your income, your debt ratio, things like that. Institute, there are institutional lenders outside of banks. So these could be groups of people that just pull their money together and together they come up with the buying criteria of the kinds of loans they want to give out. Not dissimilar from venture capitalists. They all have criteria for what they want. Or even angel syndicates. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So these groups of investors or these institutions um, specialize in what we call fix and flip loans or rental loans for investors. But what's great about those is they really don't care so much about you. Um, So if you don't have a great credit score, these are an excellent opportunity. Um, If you need to close quickly, they can usually get you funded in as little as two weeks. So it's a much better option than using a bank where, you know, in the investor world, we got to move a little bit quicker. Um, and banks okay, Jensen, so but what's the catch? The interest rates. Mm. It's not Get great. Yeah. So um, for the loan that we were looking at, uh, we were brand new investors. We were buying a fourplex. So it was a bigger project than what a normal new investor would have. So our interest rate was 12% which is not great. Um, but the, the whole reason why we go that route is just to get our foot in the door and close the deal. Once it's done, you can increase the value of the property, then you can refinance into a more traditional loan at a much more advantageous interest rate. This just helps get the wheel started. So you did that for a while and yeah. clearly you were successful with it. You wanted to continue. Did you get a second property after the fourplex? Well, before I was successful, <laughs> three days before closing, our hard money lender backed out. Oh, yeah. What did it, you do? Yeah. So, well, I called the wholesaler, the person who sold me the property with my tail between my legs. And I said, I'm an investor, I'm a fraud. <laughs> He had every every right to be like, you know what? You're going to be blacklisted. I'm going to take your deposit. Like no other investors will work with you. And you know what? He was just like, Jason, how can I help you? 
And that just put my mind at ease and it really helped me, welcomed me into this investor community. I, I just explained to him, I've got the down payment, I've got my rehab budget, just my lender. It, I don't have the criteria to match this lender. What ended up happening is that the rents were too low to support the mortgage. So that's why they, they pulled out at the last minute. And I um, think the people who normally listen to this podcast who are entrepreneurs who've got business ventures and looking to raise funding might be familiar with, you know, you might be, you might think you have a lender or an investor yeah. and you've had these conversations and you think you're all good to go. And then, you know, they can pull out the deal's not done until it's actually done. Exactly. Until the money is in the account, it's not a done deal. Yeah. So um, you were I able to weather the storm. Yes. What ended up happening is me being open, honest, and vulnerable is actually a superpower. It's not a weakness. And I teach was, me this superpower. I'm struggling <laughs> with it. <laughs> it's, you're more relatable when you're, you know, I just sold him. I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm doing. This is my first deal, you know? And he later, he told me that he was really touched by that. So I didn't know what he did. Later, I found out that he called the title company um, and told them what was going on. All I know is that an hour later, the title company called me back and said, you're funded. I had never met the person. The person knew nothing about me or my background, but they saw the property. They had invested in real estate before as lenders, thought it was a good deal. And honestly, they had just cashed out of another deal and wanted to put some money to work. So yeah, I was funded in an hour from someone I didn't even know. And since then, I've never used a bank to buy a property. So it seems like you went from triumph to tragedy to triumph really quickly. It seemed like <laughs> within like a 42 to 70, 48 to 72 hour time span. I mean, it, it, must have, it must have felt like a roller coaster of emotions though, to experience Absolutely. it. I think looking back, you could be like, Ooh, but when you're in it, because you didn't know what was going to happen. No, I thought my $5,000 deposit was gone and I was never going to, you know, no one would want to work with me. And that's just, that's just, you know, fake events appearing real. It's what my husband calls fear, fake events appearing real. That's the reality is. I like it. Um, yeah. Fake um, events people. appearing real. Yeah. I need to write it. that one down. <laughs> I like it. So you got introduced to land flipping. Walk us through that. Yes. So after that first deal was done, um, we added value. And I'm sure most entrepreneurs know this game. You know, you add value, you get your net operating income up, increase the value, and now you can take a loan out against that property and buy another one and buy another one. So that's what we were doing. Um, but that only got us so far. We wanted to do bigger and bigger deals and we needed more cash. So I think what's important from my perspective is that we knew what we wanted out of this. And so if you're an entrepreneur starting a business, if you are in, you know, into real estate, if you're into um, stock market investing, I think it's super important you realize like, what's your end game? Why are you doing this? And so for my husband and I, we always wanted retirement. We wanted passive income. So when land flipping came around, yeah, we needed to raise capital, but I really wasn't listening, looking to hear anything that didn't align with that goal of how does it help me get out of a job so I don't have to wake up and do stuff. I have other things I want to do. Um, 
And so with the land flipping, uh, the gentleman came and spoke to us and mentioned, you know, you don't have to do it in person. You can do it remotely because my goodness, it's land. It's not going to change. Um, there's so little competition in this space. And I will even say, you know, I'm in the Orlando market and there was about 300 investors he was speaking to. But in that space, when he asked how many people are flipping land, only three hands went up. And he's like, guys, that's your competition compared to everybody else in here who's trying to flip a house. It just made a lot more sense. But the, the one piece that aligned- But Jensen, that, if yeah. you are like me, sorry to interrupt. Oh, if you're you. like me and you're a little bit skeptical. Oh yeah. <clears throat> how do you get past that skepticism? You're like, okay, if this is so profitable, why are so few people doing it? How did yeah. you get past that question? And I if think, you did ask that question, what was the convincing answer that you got? So I think for me, I was a little bit too naive to think um, that the person on stage was any different from me. And so I'm like, shoot, if this guy can go, why can't I? Um, so I think I wasn't cautious enough to be, to be afraid as I should have been, um, or at least as cautious as I should have been. Uh, but to answer your first question, why are more people not into it? You know, Lane just has really bad PR. <laughs> there's no TV shows about it. There's no granite countertops. There's no bling. You know, you buy dirt and you sell dirt. It, it can be pretty unsexy. <laughs> so really, I think that's why, um, that's why not a lot of people are drawn to it. Well, that, and you know, you, you're used to driving by these developments and you see the, the land for sale sign and it's got a little ecosystem growing on it because it's been there so long. Um, so kind of are you saying off. that land flipping is not just for the big developers? It could 100%. be for just anyone? Yeah. Now, do you have to be in a specific type of market for this to work for you? Like you're in Orlando, do you have to be someplace? I mean, if you're in the middle of a city, it might not be the best ecosystem for land flipping. <laughs> Because yeah. there just might not be that many open lots that yeah. are available. So what what's the best, what are better ecosystems to be in if you're going to engage in land flipping? Well, the, the benefit is that you don't have to be anywhere. As long as you have access to Google Earth, you can see land anywhere. And I work in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, and Virginia, happily. Good to know. So it's, <laughs> it's something that you can do remotely. Absolutely. Yep. And that was one of the things that drew us to it because when we started, we were both in corporate America and I couldn't just drop my work and go see a property. I, it's just not my lifestyle. And the difference between viewing a piece of land on Google Earth versus viewing a house, like it's like you said, it's just dirt, yeah. right? It's just the dirt. The same tree from and 2012 is so still there. It's not like you're having to inspect the granite or inspect yeah. the plumbing or right. the flooring or any of those things. For you don't, you're not checking for structural integrity of the house. Now, is there anything for land that you need to be aware of? Is there any kind of inspection that's required to make sure that that land is, is um, you know, like you do a housing inspection to make sure that yeah. it's solid, that it's not on, you know, it's not going to experience like a mudslide or something like that. I don't know. Are there any such thing? Is there a checklist for a land that, you know, you have to make sure that this happens before you buy this land? Yeah, absolutely. So, and it, it is pretty local. Um, the U.S. has really 
different landscapes. So here in Florida um, and in the Southeast in general, you wanna be, uh, you wanna keep out an eye for wetlands or flood zones. So those are definitely some things to keep in mind. Uh, and you can go to a website, fws.gov. That's the fishandwildlifeservice.gov. And they have maps of every piece of land in the US, continental and abroad. So uh, that's really convenient to help keep you out of hot water. Um, in the mountainous areas, you wanna make sure that your land is actually buildable. So you wanna check for the grading to make sure you're not buying land off the side of a cliff or where the incline is so steep, you need hiking boots to get to your house or your driveway. Um, so I mean, maybe if you want to keep fit, that might not be a bad yeah. thing. But if that's not your goal, exactly. <laughs> hey, every day to get home. Stay aligned. Stay yeah. aligned with your goals. That's right. <laughs> um, I think in the in the West Coast, in uh, not the West Coast, but in the Midwest, uh, specifically in the drier areas, you have um, more desert terrain. So water rights. Do you? Does your land have access or rights to the river? And at what times do you have access to water? Because that And do you be go to the same website to get information about that? Or is there somewhere else that you would need to go? No, I don't work too much on the desert regions. I partner with people who do, but um, whenever when you go to that county website, it's just a phone call away. Just give them a quick call and they'll point you in the right direction. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, um, aside from those three things, elevation, I'm sorry, not elevation, your slope, your wetlands, and your water rights, uh, then you just have to be aware of any endangered animals in the area. We have quite a few in Florida that, you know, if you find a tortoise, you, you can't, you have to be stay away or scrub jays, those are protected. Um, but again, giving a quick call over to the county is the best way for you to find out the information. And these people are extremely helpful. I mean, I don't know what government employees get fed or paid or what, but they are wonderful to work with. <laughs> WTF listeners, have you ever listened to an episode and felt like you wanted more? or felt like there was a question that I didn't ask that you want to know more about? I am starting a listener community so that you get to ask guest questions about things that you want to learn more about. Some of you might not know this, but I spent 10 years at a foundation selecting and awarding grants. And during that time, I noted some key mistakes that grant applicants make repeatedly. Earlier this year, I co-created a grant writing course based on my observations to add value and help business and social entrepreneurs like you learn key grant writing skills to help you move from rejection to acceptance by increasing your chances of winning grants to launch or grow your businesses. When you join my community, you get the following. Two months free access from the time you sign up to my grant writing course, a $220 value. The course includes six individual modules that will walk you through grant writing, grant review, and the post-award process. You also get notice of funding opportunities to apply before grant deadlines close. You get discount access on new courses when they are launched and the opportunity to beta test courses before they're launched. You also get access to masterclasses where lots of knowledge gems will be dropped. 
If there are topics that you are interested in learning more about, let us know and we will find a speaker who can come to the community and address those questions for you. What are you waiting for? Join now. Use the link in the show notes or visit agazella.com to sign up. Well, I think it depends. I don't think the folks at the DMV fall in that. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> my, my people don't get to talk to other people too much. My people are uh-huh. doing surveys. They live in a basement with satellites, you know. So when I call, I they are just They're so just happy. happy. Okay. <laughs> so they are the people in the government yes. where if you want a quick response, reach out to those guys because they're just happy to talk to people. Versus exactly. at the DMV where they're like, next, what do you want? Exactly. <laughs> okay. So how profitable is land flipping versus house flipping? Um, much more profitable. So in, in the house flipping world, um, there's a general rule that you want to buy your properties at 70% of what they call Mayo. That's your maximum allowable offer. So if once the property is totally redone, your house is worth $500,000, let's do $100,000 because math. Okay. You're worth, it's worth $100,000 all fixed up. Um, the most you can put into that property is $70,000, which means if there's $30,000 in repairs that need to be done, the most you can offer that seller is $40,000 because 40 to the seller plus the 30 in rehab gets you to the 70%. That's the maximum allowed offer so you can make your profit um, when you sell at 100,000, okay? In the house flipping world, first of all, there's no repairs. So that just goes right out the window. And secondly, rather than offering 70% of market value, we recommend that you pay no more than 30% of market value. Why do you recommend that? Because it gives you options. First of all, with 70% in equity in that property, not only are you gonna get a really nice return on your investment, Uh, But you also have protections, right? So if you do find out that your property, you know, is halfway in a flood zone after you've already made your offer, well, fine. Put the property up for sale for 50% off. Someone will buy it because it's so darn cheap. And because you bought it at 30%, there's still an option for profit. Yeah. If you know it's in a flood zone, do you have to have a responsibility to disclose that to the new buyer? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they'll still want to buy it knowing it's in a flood zone? Yes. Why? We assume that it being in a flood zone or having scrub jays or being in a, in a wash in the desert um, means that it's not desirable. It's not desirable to you or to me, but we are not the market. I've sold wetland properties to people who want to do hunting. I've sold wetland properties to people who are in mudding teams, like mudding competitions. Apparently that's- So it all depends on what the need of the market, of the buyer is. And their need might be different from yours. So don't assume that somebody doesn't want it because you don't want it. Yeah. Now you've mentioned scrub jays twice. I've never heard of scrub jays. Um, What are they? This is just a curiosity question. It's it's a bird. It's a bird that lives in like scrub bush here in Florida and- 
Yeah. Um, but with that said, the reason I do that is because I work here and I run into them a lot, but there are entire community, entire developments with roads and lights that have never been finished because they found scrub jades at the last minute. Okay. And, I mean, huge developments that are just abandoned. Um, but what we, what um, one of our other land flippers is able to do is he'll go in and buy up those lots from people who were really smuggled into them. They were all out of state and were sold this big dream knowing that they couldn't build. Um, I do not condone unethical practices, just putting that out there. Um, so he'll go and he'll buy these lots from these people who were swindled back in the day and he sells them to bird watching communities. So these bird watchers get to buy land and ensure that nobody else will build on it forever and protect the birds. No, that's very smart. See, I'm doing all the wrong things with my life. <laughs> I'm just doing all the wrong things. All right. So what, what does the financing process for land flipping look like versus house flipping? Well, the first piece is that there really is, um, banks are not in love with uh, lending on vacant land. So if you can get uh, lending, it is usually, the rates are not too attractive, um, but the problem is most banks won't do it, period. So we get most of our financing from the owners. Um, so if you know we go and we offer 30% of the market value to just help this person get rid of their property, if we don't have the 30%, there's really two ways we could make that work. One, sign the contract, but don't actually close on the property, don't actually pay for it until you find somebody else who actually wants it. Then you arrange it so that your closing date works out where you buy the property at 10 o'clock in the morning and you sell the property at four o'clock in the afternoon. But because it all happened on the same day, usually the title company doesn't wanna deal with all the accounting. They'll just take the money from the last person and pay off everybody else. I'll pause. Yeah, because I'm looking at you like, how? So one, how do you know that you have a motivated enough seller who will take 30% of the value? Yeah, they'll, they'll self-identify. So finding these people is the most expensive and time-intensive part of real estate investing. Whether this is land or houses, it doesn't matter. It's the truth is the same. Uh, in the housing world, you're probably sending about a hundred letters to get one person to call you back. And you generally need about 30 people to call you back for you to get a, yes, I am actually gonna take this ridiculously low offer you're giving me. Um, in the land flipping world, that number is a little bit closer to about three, uh, 3%. Um, so you send hundred letters, three people will call you back, uh, but the numbers are about the same. You need about 30 offers out there before um, someone will say, yep, I, I like your offer, I'll take it. So hunting is, is the bigger part of the, the challenge. But there's no coercion and no convincing. It's you find the person who truly is done with their property and you don't have to convince them of anything. I've actually at that point, they're me. just willing to take something because they just want yeah. it off their hands. So exactly. some of these motivated sellers, and I did motivate in, in air quotes. When I say motivated, I mean, they just want to be rid of the property. Sometimes yeah. you find those motivated um, sellers to be people who might have inherited property that they yeah. personally have no use for, don't know what to do with. So they're just trying to offload. Yeah. 
Um, so usually this is happening when there's a life change. That's true when you buy houses too. There's some sort of life change. Um, so either the person has inherited the property and they don't want it. Um, I really like it when the, the person who owns the property is still alive because there's less probate work and lawyer costs involved. Um, but that person might be transitioning to a assisted living facility and their kids just don't want it. So to help pay for the assisted living, they'll, you know, talk to their family and decide, well, let's just offload the land. It was an investment, so let's let's use it. Um, so it's usually, um, oh, divorce. That's happened a lot too. That's a big one. Yeah, uh, but the themes are kind of the same. It's usually a reason why they need the cash, which has nothing to do with the land, a health reason, moving expenses, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, or it's a family struggles. Um, I do see that a lot too, where the family has inherited, inherited the property, but only one person is keeping up with the code violations, making sure nobody's dumping on the property, paying the taxes every single year. Mm -hmm. And that person just gets tired of managing something they don't want, especially if the other siblings aren't helping. Yeah. Now you mentioned a little bit about some of the costs especially if, if a property ends up in probate, if it yes. was an inherited property that you buy. get Tell us a little bit more about some of those costs and how long that could potentially take. That's probably not going to be one of those deals where you buy it at 10 in the morning and sell it at four in the afternoon. Maybe, I don't know, but if you could mm -hmm. just walk us around, um, through that. Yeah, so I actually, there, there's not a lot of probate situations that happen and we've only had it come across our table twice. Most of them are regular. Yep, I bought the property 30 years ago. It's not gonna work out for me anymore. Let's do something about it. But if you do run into a probate situation, it's usually a three to six month process depending on your county. Um, and then the costs really do vary widely. You can do it um, in small claims courts for as little as $1,500. And if the land is a part of a larger estate, it could go up exponentially just because it becomes a percentage of the value of the estate. Uh, but in that case, the land is just one part of a much bigger whole mess that the family has to deal with uh, to get everything situated. Um, but that's where you run into like more of a six month time frame, just because they've got so many assets to sift through. But that's really outside of the land buying process. You, in those situations, you would still negotiate with the, the uh, executor of the trust and say, hey, I'm gonna buy this land. I know you're dealing with all this other stuff, but here's what I can offer. Usually they're so overwhelmed. They're like, yeah, whatever, just take it. Um, so that can work in your favor. Exactly, exactly. And we don't, um, because it does legally have to go through the probate process, you'll have a contract, but you can't close for three to six months just because you got to wait for things to happen. The good thing is it gives you three to six months to find another buyer so that when you finally do close, no money's out of pocket. I like how you come quick with all the upsides. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Jensen, if someone were looking for a side hustle, would you yeah. encourage them to do land flipping as a side hustle? Yeah, you know, I- Or I is it too much or is it something that one needs oh. to get into just with both feet and not just one? Yeah. Um, so to answer your question first, I've been asked this a few times. I'm not really here to convince anybody what to do. I'm just sharing my story. And if it resonates, great. 
Um, but in terms of effort, anything of value is worth effort. So whether you are selling pies on Sunday or buying vacant lots, if you only put in two hours on Sunday to get those pies together, you'll do okay, but it's not going to give you financial freedom, right? You're going to have to have a marketing plan. You're going to have to do flyers and reach out to different people and let people know what you've got, get reviews and keep up with it. I mean, it's running a business. So you can do this as a hobby. I mean, we did it as a hobby and we flipped five properties in a year. And then we decided we wanted to do it as a business and I was retired in three years. So it depends on what you, what are your goals? Fair enough. It makes sense. Okay. <laughs> um, so we're, we've come to the end of our conversation and it was lovely. I've learned a lot. What, what are, let's say the top five tips that you would give someone in terms of what they need to know about land flipping or the advantages of land flipping? Five is a lot. So let's, let's. All right, let's, let's drop it down to three. (laughs) Okay. So the top three tips. um, So your marketing is your lifeblood. Uh, When you get into this business, I recommend that you plan to send at least a thousand pieces of mail every month. Um, And there's other companies that will do that for you. It's pretty cheap. I mean, you can do it for like, you know, 600, 700 bucks a month. But if you stop marketing, you will not get deals and your business will fall flat. So, um, so marketing is key. Marketing is 100% key. Um, and then I, my recommendation is that if you do want this to be a thing, I recommend that you have about three or four months of a marketing budget just set up in a separate bank account so that no matter what is going on in your life, you're like, you know what? I'm sorry. My marketing has to go out on the first of the month. That's just... That's what it is. How much money should you maybe have in that account to start? Yeah. So I, uh, like I said, about $600, $700 a month okay. for, for the mail. So uh, 2000, you're making me do math, like 2000 No, you don't have to. We'll just go with whatever it is for month <laughs> and let folks do their own math. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, that's one thing I wish I had done in the beginning because I did a I did a bunch of marketing and then I got really busy getting my deals and then marketing my deals and then selling my deals. And then, yay, I have no more deals. (laughs) So just keep the marketing going on a regular basis. Uh, So that's number one. Um, Number two, surround yourself with like-minded individuals. Um, I'm sorry, this isn't original news, but it is critical. Whether you're an entrepreneur selling pies or whatever you're into. Um, So in the real estate space, you can Google a real estate investment association. It's a RIA. You can, and then just put real estate investment association near me. If less than 10 pop up, I'm shocked, right? They're everywhere. Uh, But these are meetups that are going to put you in the room with people who I say are failing at a much higher level. And that's where you want to be. Everyone can talk up success, but I'm really inspired, you know, when I go into these meetings and someone's like, yep, I just signed this development deal. We're 12 months in and I'm a million dollars in the hole. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, those are the kinds of problems I want to have one day, you know, and not even worrying about it, just sipping on his coffee. Um, So I, that's what I want. So community and network. hundred percent. And number three. Um, 
And number three, uh, this sounds so trite, but, but have faith in the process, have faith in yourself and then surround yourself with people of faith. Um, for me, I find that in, in my religious community. Um, but if you're not a religious person, I get it, but you, it is absolutely critical. In fact, I don't know how an entrepreneur can be an entrepreneur without stepping out and saying, I'm going to do this thing. And I faith is a it's big part of it. Whatever it is that you have faith in, you have to yes. have faith. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, it is a hundred percent real. And the more you fixate on, on your outcome, um, well, have your outcome in mind, but fixate on the work. It just, it starts to look easy. The opportunities just start to come to you. So, but you just have, you know, you can't get into this for six months and be like, oh, I've only gotten two deals. And so I'm done. I quit. Yes. <laughs> no, it, it will work out, but you guys just keep, keep going. Jensen, these are all fantastic tips. And Jensen, I know you have a presence on TikTok yeah. um, for people who might want to know more about you and what you do. So what's your, where should they follow you on social media? Yeah. You can follow me, um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. It's all Flipping Without Rehab. Uh, or you can check me out on flippingwithoutrehab.com and all of my information is there too. And if you're interested in flipping land, you can get there. If you're interested in flipping your money, um, you can get there too. Oh, and by the way, I really like, I recently fell in love with that part of it because even if you're not into real estate, but you've made a little bit of cash in your entrepreneurial uh, endeavors and you're interested in real estate, this is a really good way to partner with active real estate investors and say, here's my money, but show me what you're doing. Let me know, like, how is this project going? How did you work out that problem? You're actually getting paid to get mentored in real estate. So something to think about. Sounds good. Jensen <laughs> Young, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on this episode of Where's the Funding Podcast. And thanks to the listeners for joining us for yet another episode. We love to hear your feedback on the show and how we could improve. So please complete the short survey in the show notes. If you would like to be a guest on the show or sponsor an episode, please Email us at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. You can find us on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, all the places where people listen to podcasts. And to help us grow, make sure you are subscribing, listening, rating, sharing, reviewing, all that good stuff. And follow the show on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Agazella Learn Lock Scale. And follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie on LinkedIn. And I'll see you all for the next episode. Thanks, Jansen. Thank you. Bye.